You're listening to Tatiana Is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And I'm Stephanie. In this episode, we are discussing episode eight of Orphan Black, the next chapter, entitled Best Learn to Cope. We will be discussing everything that happened in that episode, but there shouldn't be any spoilers for future episodes. And our standard pandemic disclaimer, it makes me sad that I'm calling it a standard pandemic disclaimer, but here we are. We are recording (laughs) this during August of 2021. The COVID-19 pandemic is still a thing, and we are still a mess, uh, increasingly so in my case. The episode title reference for this episode comes from Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler, and the title itself came from kind of a small quote, but I felt like it needed a bigger context. So Chris and I are going to do some dramatic reading of (laughs) Parable of the Sower for you here. Sorry. Why personify change by calling it God? Since change is just an idea, why not call it that? Just say change is important. Because after a while, it won't be important, I told him. People forget ideas. They're more likely to remember God, especially when they're scared or desperate. Then they're supposed to do what, he demanded? Read a poem? Or remember a truth or a comfort or a reminder to action, I said. People do that all the time. They reach back to the Bible, the Talmud, the Koran, or some other religious book that helps them deal with the frightening changes that happen in life. Change does scare most people. I know. God is frightening. Best learn to cope. I wouldn't say that the title is necessarily like bleak, but it doesn't feel encouraging <laughs> for our, our clones here, given that that was the choice for this episode. Yeah. I mean, not to bring it back to the global situation, but uh, I feel like we're all real, real familiar with coping right now. <laughs> it's not It's not the best. It's the best you can do, but it's not the best. The middle section of that passage where the speaker says, or remember a truth or comfort or reminder to action is like a response to change. I I kind of thought of Kira a little bit when I was reading that and her actions in this episode. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because she does have that exchange with M where she's talking about uh, feeling like she has to act in regard to Sauter. And uh, basically, what if something does actually happen and she knew that she might be able to do something to stop it and and feeling like she couldn't couldn't let that happen. Because what they're saying here is when people are confronted with change, they can turn to something familiar to help them cope with it. And so for Kira, it kind of felt like she was drawing on her her poor, I forget how, how she described it, it was like not a lustrous life, but eventful life. I don't know. Her, it was like her short, but spectacular life, something like that. I liked the way it described Kara's life. You know, she was drawing back on her experiences of her childhood and kind of realizing we can't just walk away. We have to do something to help people. Guess she's a good kid. Kira is a good kid. We're going to talk about Kira a lot because this was a great episode for her. After last time's very, very long episode, this one was still lengthy-ish time-wise, but it felt a bit more slower paced. It felt like we got a bit more in-depth and fewer things rather than being thrown a lot of stuff in one chunk. I feel like it did spend 
maybe greater chunks of time with characters. Though, I mean, this this episode's pretty action-packed. Oh, it is, for sure. And I also enjoyed that we got more of Trevor Yuli's score from the show in this episode. I think they used it a bit in previous ones, but this episode had quite a few sections where they, they brought in score from the TV show, and that made me happy. So let's talk about Allison and Dana in Charlotte. We didn't really talk about them when we discussed episode 107, just because there was a whole lot going on. So they're out of the hospital now and trying to get back into Canada. And I have to say, re-listening to it now with this image of Charlotte sequestering herself in the back of a van with a medical mask on, trying to stay away from Allison, it feels a lot more dire now than it did when I first listened to the story. Yes. Yes, indeed. I was a little frustrated that even though we got more of Charlotte being like awake and alert in this episode, we still don't have a good sense of what she feels about what she has done. I was hoping we might get a little glimpse into that in this episode since we didn't get it last time. Mm-hmm. But they're they're going to draw it out and make us wait. I actually don't remember if if they do give us that. I mean, it's been long enough, and life has been eventful enough since I listened to it. I really don't remember. It did, from her conversation with Dana, it did seem like she wasn't necessarily regretting it. Like, she still was kind of arguing for her reasons about why she wanted to do it now in this particular time, so they can kind of do it on their own terms. Mm -hmm. At least that was my impression, so... So far, at least, it doesn't seem like she necessarily thinks she did the wrong thing. But I'm curious to see if that changes. Right. As the fallout continues. Exactly. I did think it was sweet, though, that here Charlotte and Dana were sort of having this discussion or debate or whatnot. And, and Allison was just, like, getting all teary about it. I know. She was so proud of, of Charlotte. And I felt like Alice in this episode, too. I was proud of Charlotte. I was proud of Kira later on. I was similarly getting misty-eyed about the kids being all grown up. I thought it was interesting hearing more from Dana in this episode, too, where she expressed sort of her reaction to the publicity around the clones because she's been self-aware her entire life, but... Her reaction to this episode felt a lot more similar to our clones who became self-aware toward the beginning of the series. And it, it feels like she's kind of putting her life under a different microscope now. Well, I mean, I think part of it, too, is – and correct me if I'm wrong, but Dana didn't know about the older – like, the Lita clones. Right. And so – to have this greater perspective on what you're a part of. Because, of course, that's the thing about growing up, right? Is, like, you don't know any difference, so everything just seems normal. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so once you get that uh, bigger worldview, all that stuff that seemed normal, maybe doesn't so much anymore. I felt bad for Dana, though. Having a bit of an identity crisis and at least maybe second-guessing her relatively positive feelings toward the people involved in the Gemini project who'd kind of been part of her 
upbringing. I just, I don't know. I just, I felt bad for her. Me too. I mean, I feel like that's the the idea there, right? It's, again, that, not loss of innocence, but again, that realization that the things that you just thought were normal or true or whatever suddenly revealed to be not what you thought. I am curious with them heading back toward Canada, if there's going to be more difficulty getting back into Canada than they experience getting out of Canada. I don't know, because there was somebody in this episode, I think maybe it was Sarah when she's talking to Felix, says something like, oh, Allison's back and we might have a lead on where Kira is. So it made it sound like maybe they made it over the border. But I thought for sure earlier in the story when Delphine was talking about extending the biometric security from the airports to the borders, that they'd have some sort of problem getting back across into Canada. But I don't know. Should I be worried about this, Chris? <laughs> Do you think I should be? It very much – I mean, I was worried about it, but then it sounded like they were already in Toronto. I think Donnie actually says something about – either Donnie says it about it or it says it about Donnie thinking it. I don't remember. It's not important. About them being <laughs> in Toronto already. Yeah. So I was that actually kind of surprised me that it seemed like they were suggesting they'd made it back and it was okay and there wasn't going to be – kind of follow up to border issues, but I don't know. Yeah, because it was all like, Donnie was nervous, but he's fine now that they're back in Toronto. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> wait, huh? <laughs> but they were building up to maybe something being a problem, but I guess not. Yeah, I was for sure thinking that something like that was going to happen. And there was going to have to be some sort of clone subterfuge. I was actually kind of looking forward to it, <laughs> given how well... <clears throat> Allison deals with such things. <laughs> I don't know. Because, I mean, what we'd been told before made it sound like they were more concerned about people leaving Canada than people coming into Canada. So I don't know. Maybe they're increasing the border security going out of Canada since they're worried about a terrorist escaping. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Speaking of intense road trips... We also have, you know, no border crossings, but uh, we've got Kira and M frantically escaping from Nasqueneg. I was going to say, possibly one of the worst road trips, at least this section of it, has been not great for poor Kira and M. No, partially because Kira can actually drive, but she is driving. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm like super endeared by Kira in this series right now because, you know, she's on that cusp of becoming an adult, but still trying to not, but still like being a kid. You know, she was drinking chocolate milk that she spat at the window <laughs> shield last episode and, you know, driving a car that she doesn't actually know how to drive here. But I just, I love her little transitional phase that she's in right now. I just find it very endearing. It is. It is. Sweet little Kira's growing up. I know. Though she had one point where she was, she asked M, are you mad at me? But she thought to herself, I really wanted to say, am I disappointed? Are you disappointed with me? But that'd be something a kid would ask. And I was like, I struggle with that still, Kira. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, same. <laughs> but I was so proud of Kira. Like, I'm a little worried because she told M so much about herself and Clone Club. 
But I really was proud of her for thinking that she could choose for herself who she should trust. I was also contemplating this because there there is that debate, right? Like, is this person safe to tell? And I think given the last episode and that whole conversation about M knowing that Kira had been sleeping at Gene Keep and that she'd known for a week <laughs> and was just hoping that Kira would tell her, like she wasn't going to say anything. She was just waiting for Kira to tell her. I feel like that having already been established, maybe uh, gives Kira a little more, I don't know, security, a sense of security in telling M. That's a good point. I also wonder if it's helpful that M has demonstrated, because I think she does before this as well as during the conversation, but demonstrated kind of a, a distrust with authorities. So mm, she mm -hmm. also wouldn't try to necessarily like call in police or somebody like that and say, this person is committing crimes, come get them. You know, so I wonder if it's it's a combination of things. But I like your point that she demonstrated very recently that she could keep a secret for Kira and wouldn't rat her out to her bosses. Mm -hmm. But Kira was, I think, somewhat lamenting that she had inherited some of her mother's qualities. I think she said something about seeking out drama, something about that. Yes. <laughs> Which she was acting rather Sarah-like in this episode, I must say. <laughs> but I think in, like, the best ways possible. Like, yes, reckless in some regards, but also wanting to confront injustice. I was going to say, it's, it's a noble recklessness. Yes, exactly. I did appreciate that Sarah and Felix had that whole discussion, basically talking about, like, that is definitely your kid, and this is definitely payback for your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> but also acknowledging that, like, Kira's way better than you were. <laughs> yes. Better behaved. Like, yes, Kira might be avoiding you and running off to do things by herself, but the things that she's doing by herself are probably pretty tame. <laughs> I mean, they're not really that tame <laughs> in this regard, but she's definitely, she's trying to be helpful, trying to be a good person and not just doing something selfish and destructive. Getting involved with a drug dealer and then hitting him in the head and stealing his drugs. <laughs> Things like that, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I am actually a little surprised that Kira told M as much as she did all at once. Like, she didn't just tell her about clones. She also told her about her Lynn 28A gene, mm -hmm. and I thought that demonstrated that she was putting a lot of trust into M, keeping her secret for her, or at least not intending her any harm. I was surprised that that part of the conversation happened, but also it's one of those like, well, I suppose depending on what all happens here, that might actually be an important thing for M to know. Since part of the whole thing was Kira uploading her own genetic sequence into the place that can't really be trusted now. <laughs> Under Mira Canning. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You couldn't have tried to do an anagram or something. Like that's just <laughs> lazy, <laughs> Kira. Obvious. I guess that's how Kira's immaturity manifests itself. <laughs> Terrible aliases. 
But Kira and M, they do go back to help Softer and end up taking him to the hospital. And he does admit that he planted a computer virus in the genetic sample that he gave to GeneKeep. But I'm still left with this question of, like, how? How did he do that? Especially, how did he do that potentially by himself? I want to know. And I'm bummed I didn't get more information in this episode. But do we think it was by himself? Because I'm skeptical. I don't think it was. I really think he has some sort of partner in that scheme to bring down the gene keep database i I feel like he's got somebody out there i mean it makes sense especially given the orphan black universe (laughs) there are always shady organizations conspiring against one another it's just the way of things but i also don't know because i mentioned I, i considered maybe 46 pure but i agree with you that would they really support a plan that involved altering his DNA? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't really seem like a Prolethean thing either. Maybe. I don't know if they'll resurrect the Prolethians here. I'm just trying to think of, like, anti-clone people, anti-clone projects. And for some reason, my brain is going to, like, corporate espionage even. <laughs> Fair. Okay. As a possibility, right? Like, like what if Gene Keep has some sort of competition... And the competition just wants to, like, get them out of the way. Just throwing it out there. Do you think that we've heard of said person yet? Or do you think they've yet to be named? Oh, I don't know. I'm just throwing throwing wild theories out there. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, it could even be one of the, the government organizations, right? Like, mm. since we've got a bunch of those guys floating around. <laughs> mm, so, like, maybe the branch of the CAA that Davis works for. Because if he's he's all hot and bothered about the idea of Canada developing a genetic weapon, mm-hmm. he could have motivation to wipe out a genetic database. Exactly. So I spent all last episode very sad that I didn't get to hear from Kasima. So I was very pleased that Kasima returned in this episode. And I was also super pleased that Jay and Vivi made such a fun pair infiltrating that Department of Defense compound together. I thought that that was a very uh, fun little duo. Yes, one of those like unexpected pairings that you're like, oh, yes. I, I hadn't thought about it at all, but this is great. <laughs> and it just seemed like Tatiana Maslany was having a, a lot of fun sort of voicing their interactions with each other. But I, I enjoyed the two of them a lot. I hope they work together more. It seems like they must have to work together at least for one more episode, given how it ends. The Mountie and the Agent. <laughs> <laughs> As they both grit their teeth. <laughs> but you know who's not fun, Chris? Is Greg Kurtzman. He's the worst. I dislike him immensely. Maybe not as much as Davis. I was gonna but ask. it's up there. Davis is still up there pretty, pretty high for the hate. They're they're both pretty terrible. But this guy was terrible and mean to Kasima, so I can see why he's maybe edging out Davis on your list. But we overhear a conversation and hear evidence that he was involved on that attack on Sovter, and it sounded like to me that he was hoping Sovter could act more as a vector to infect other people in the village. But since he was in his house, that didn't happen. Was that your impression, too? I, I honestly don't know. Because he said something about how 
that the target was like isolated and he had wanted to do more tests anyway. And so they were, you know, routing something or other to Nazguineg. Like Vivi saw on the computer that they were routing something towards Nazguineg. But since he was able to attack Soul of Terror, I feel like we can reasonably assume that he or his organization was involved in that little surreptitious download of data that Kira accidentally saw. Well, that was going to be my question, too. Do we think that happened in conjunction with the virus? Like, was it the same person or group behind that? Mm, like, they downloaded it and then destroyed it? Uh-huh. Hmm. Like, and we'll make a copy for ourselves and then destroy the original so we we now have it and you don't. That's a good point. I hadn't really considered that. I was thinking it was likely two different entities, but you're right. It could have been the same person or the same organization. Just throwing it out there. Do you think that Kurtzman is the person that Bai was talking to on the phone when Em and Kira overheard him in the last episode? Or do you think there's somebody else that has more direct contact with Dr. Bai? That is a good question. I do not know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was Kurtzman. That's what I'm thinking, too. I'm thinking it's Kurtzman. Since clearly he had to have access to the genetic data from the Nazguina community in order to attack Softer the way that he did. Excellent point. So Kurtzman, it seems, really hates Delphine and by extension Kasima. Did you get that vibe? Like he seems to really dislike them. Yeah. I mean, that's not news though, is it? Cuz he It's not. He seemed pretty put out by Delphine's presence at their like secret plotting meeting things. <laughs> <laughs> the bio threat meeting. Yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a very long header on their agenda. <laughs> I feel like we should add another disclaimer to these that I'm now recording these after like a full work day. <laughs> I am fried, y'all. Chris can remember no proper nouns. <laughs> Words are hard. Yes, like I agree. He did seem ticked off by her, but he just kind of seems a little unhinged with dislike. When he's interviewing Kasima here, I guess it was other things making him seem or making him a bit stressed in the moment. But I was still surprised how much he seems he seemed to hate Del- Delphine and hate Kasima by extension. So I was very impressed with Kasima like speaking to him so rationally. But that I feel like is maybe a coping mechanism she has. I feel like she did that in the series too. I can't remember who it was, but she was like being confronted with somebody who was just. In my head, I remember thinking, like, Kasima, it feels like you should be afraid of this person. And he, she just seemed, like, super calm and, like, trying to have a rational conversation with him. It's it's all the marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, Kasima better not have gotten stung by any of those little drones. I'm going to be very, very upset if they make Kasima sick again. I don't know what I'm going to do. I might throw things. It's so upsetting to listen to that because you're like, have have you not put her through enough show? I did have a moment also when you were like, I was so happy that we got more Kasima this episode. And I'm like, given what happens, are you? I mean, yes, I am. I know I'm teasing. But- <laughs> I'm teasing. But I got so stressed out listening to that, though. I know. 
I'm still stressed out because I don't know that we can trust her assessment that she didn't get stung. So she better not have been stung. I'll be very upset. But I did feel really happy to see Kasima and also see finally, because I wanted her to do this, whatever episode that was where she was in the other room when somebody shot Sturgis and Vivi was there, because I wanted her and Vivi to talk, like, however many episodes ago that was. And finally, they seemed to actually be talking to each other, like, yay, yay. (laughs) But what are their next steps going to be, given that they seem to be in a fairly heavily guarded facility and... Now people seem to know that they're there. And uh, how are they going to get out? Yeah, but Vivi was, like, pretty definitive that security wasn't going to come help Kurtzman, right? So She felt pretty confident about it. So I hope that confidence holds up. In listening to the episode to try to find a sciency topic to maybe say a little bit more about, the only thing that really stuck out to me that I hadn't talked about before was when Kasima was observing the tiny little drones that Kurtzman was going to loose upon her to infect her. Kurtzman's the worst. She noticed that where the proboscis should be, there was a tiny syringe instead. And the word proboscis is just an awesome word. So I thought, let's talk about mosquitoes as vectors. So probably, as most of you know, mosquitoes are a fantastic vector for bacteria and viruses. Some of the diseases that they have spread quite a bit are malaria, West Nile virus, Zika virus, So mosquitoes are fantastic transport mechanisms for bacteria and viruses that can't move very well on their own. And the proboscis is the little sucking-like tube that protrudes from a mosquito's head that it uses to suck up blood. And this is only female mosquitoes that do this. Male mosquitoes do not have this mechanism. So the females are harvesting blood to feed to their babies. And While the mosquito has like a singular proboscis, the proboscis itself actually has about six parts to it, researchers have realized, and each of the little needle-like parts of the proboscis do different things. So some of them saw through our skin and some of them detect where our vein is. And then one of the little parts specifically is designed to inject mosquito saliva into our blood vessels. And the purpose of doing this is it it does a few things. It moistens the proboscis. Mosquitoes' saliva also dilates our blood vessels, meaning it makes our blood vessels get bigger so that more blood is flowing through them as the mosquito is trying to suck up blood. And then it also, their saliva contains an anticoagulant, so that keeps the blood liquid and flowing. Because typically, because we are adapted, when our blood hits the air, it starts to coagulate and form little scabs so that our skin can start to heal. And the mosquito obviously doesn't want that, wants the the blood to remain liquid, so their saliva actually contains anticoagulant to keep our blood flowing. And so this is where the transmission of viruses can occur. It might sound a little counterintuitive to people because we think of mosquitoes as sucking up our blood, but they do actually kind of inject some of their own saliva into our blood vessel as well. And that's how they can 
transmit viruses to humans. Infected mosquitoes, they can inject very different levels of viral load per bite. It just kind of depends. So some bites, they might only transmit one virion, but some bites might transmit as much as 10,000. And researchers have found that in mice, one virion was enough to infect the mouse with that particular disease. We know that for malaria, it only takes like 8 to 20 active malaria viruses in order to infect a person. And they can make it to a person's liver within 20 minutes of being bitten by a mosquito. Designing these little mini drones after mosquitoes, it seems like a very classic acknowledging the viral transmission capabilities of the mosquito. But it also makes me wonder, if they're trying to be sneaky about it, why would they pick a mosquito? Because everybody tries to avoid mosquitoes? Either way, it it is very appropriate, though, to have mosquito-like little drones being the methods of infection for the TAG project. But a proboscis, back to the word proboscis, because it's an awesome word, so not only mosquitoes aren't the only creatures that have proboscises, and it's kind of a general term for like a tube-like appendage from a creature. So like even an elephant's trunk, that's considered to be a proboscis. An anteater's snoot is considered to be a, a proboscis because it's long and tubular. And there's actually a species of monkey called a proboscis monkey. Go Google it. Go look at the picture. It looks like Walter Matthau. It has a ridiculous nose. I'm sorry, proboscis monkey, but the nose is ridiculous. But hopefully you can go and take a look and see these little serious old man monkeys and it'll make you smile. So we've got Vivi, Jay, and Kasima having to work together in the next episode. We have a far odder trio working together on Sturgis's hair in this episode. We've got Art, Delphine, and Donnie trying to puzzle out what data the that Delphine was able to extract from the hair that Sturgis implanted in his armpit. And it yielded a address and a locker combination, which Donnie seemed to know because he and Allison had applied to join that sex club. I, I anticipate an undercover mission to a sex club involving Donnie, and I'm already embarrassed? Like, that was just... <laughs> Yeah. All I could think about the entire time. How about you? <laughs> yeah. I It was one of those, like, this whole section of the episode. Again, kudos to the people writing it, because they work in Donnie being there as, like, he's worried, and so he's there to sort of, like, be included in what's going on, but also distracted from worrying, which I, I totally accepted as, like, a reason, but really it's just it's all an excuse to have him there to know about the sex club <laughs> it for sure Which, is. Uh, i did not see coming i did not see coming at all and then in retrospect maybe i should have but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no that did kind of uh it, it amused me it's like well i guess it, it's a good thing he was there what with being able to tell that it was a locker combination how convenient that he was there and knows that information. You're right, though, because, like, he wasn't over there in the last episode. Somehow Donnie got, like, mysteriously replaced by Felix because it was Felix who helped them get into the morgue to get the hair. But then he didn't go with them to Delphine's lab for whatever reason. I guess he was meeting up with Sarah. 
And then suddenly Donnie is there instead with Art and Delphine. Yeah, it's a, it's a very – I hadn't really thought about it before, but you make a good point. It was a very convenient placement of Donnie for this particular scene. But Jay was with them when they got the hair, too. So, yeah. I, like, clearly some time has passed. Oh, no. I, it's not that I didn't think that enough time has passed, but it was just kind of like the – it was a very purposeful switching out of characters in different places. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And now I'm tickled by the thought of Art and Delphine just sort of hanging out. <laughs> I like that idea, though. Like, I love the idea. In, in in hindsight, I'm like, I love the idea of, like, Delphine and Art being buds. Like, I just like that idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talking about how her, her machinery sounds like a microwave. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> they are both sort of, like, level-headed people who got dragged into all of this. <laughs> Not that either one of them is always that level-headed, but I feel like compared to Clone Club. <laughs> compared to Clone Club. <laughs> but I, you're right. They do tend to be kind of like stable guiding forces in the background. They they kind of can perform the same role in the story. So I like the mm-hmm. idea of them being buds. Mm-hmm. And, and since I mentioned Felix and you brought this up earlier, I really enjoyed the little kitchen table scene between Sarah and Felix in this episode. It was nice to have them reunited. It was very sweet, and I liked that it sort of focused on the fact that they are older and have, you know, settled down to some extent, and are still themselves, <laughs> just in a more more mature way. It did make me wonder what has happened to Mrs. S's house, though, because the, in the series finale... It looked like Sarah and Felix and Kira were living there. And it made me wonder, oh, I wonder what happened to Mrs. S's house. I don't recall them mentioning it in this series, because I think they were implying that Sarah and Kira were were living, like, slightly outside of Toronto now. Hmm. But I might be wrong. I just can't remember. I should go back and look. I don't remember for sure either. That, That sounds right, but also I'm drawing a blank on what it was they said exactly. Yeah, since they were sitting around a kitchen table together. It's like, oh, I remember when they sat around the kitchen table at Mrs. S. house drinking tea. So I don't know why, but I decided to save Rachel for last. <laughs> you're because you're avoiding it. <laughs> Rachel is back. I'm not sure how I feel about that. How do you feel about Rachel returning? I, ha- I feel like I have mixed feelings about it. Because, like... They bring her up, and my immediate response is sort of a, ugh, you. <laughs> one, of, one of those. Yeah, for sure. But but then we have that scene where she finds out that, like, the clone secret is out, and she's kind of like, oh, thank God. And she just, like, walks out of her job. <laughs> I'm like, why do I, why am I tickled by this? <laughs> Did it? Did you have kind of a "you go, girl" reaction to what you are counter? Kind of did yeah, huh? And then, and then I was like, "Wait, it's Rachel. We don't like her." <laughs> but also, she's so terrible that you kind of like her in the context of someone who's that terrible. I actually thought it made perfect sense that she ended up in a call center. Did it make sense to you, or? <laughs> I mean, kind of. <laughs> Clearly, she she showed that she could be disciplined, and she doesn't mind exploiting people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So 
you know, making her direct reports follow this like really punishing work schedule. Like, yeah, she's fine with that. If they're trying to scam people out of their money on the phone. Yeah, she's fine with that. Like, it's just, <laughs> I don't yep. know. I was just, it was, it was kind of fun to think of Rachel being middle management in a call center. But at the same time, it made sense to me that that was kind of a natural place for her to land once she could no longer be the embedded clone at a biotech organization. Yeah, it is one of those things where you're kind of like, well, didn't see that coming. And then you, you take a few beats and you're like, no, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. But you mentioned her like getting up and leaving her job when she sees the news report. And it, it made me wonder, like, had she been planning or considered what she would do if this event ever happened? Like, do you think when this happened, she had, you know, plan A already outlined in her head? Yes. Yes. I was actually surprised that plan A seemed to be going to the media and revealing herself to be a clone. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I expect her to do. I guess I expected her to do something more immediately nefarious, but. Right? I think Davis surmised her intentions with going to the media pretty well and that she was trying to angle for some sort of job based on the fact that she has special knowledge about the clones. That does 100% make sense. So still super manipulative and on track for Rachel, but not nearly as nefarious as I thought she would be. I mean, it could be. Maybe the nefarious is coming. I mean, it's Rachel. She can't help it. <laughs> I mean, she can, but she chooses not <laughs> to care. <laughs> Let me rephrase. I mean, it's Rachel. She won't help it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> But I do wonder where she might land now. Davis did consider that she might end up even at the CIA. But at this point, I'm not sure. Do you think we'll see her again in this? I feel like we'd have to see her again. Yeah, why else bring her in at this point? So of the sort of organizations we know about at this point, do you have a feeling about where she might land? Uh, no. No, because they all seem kind of terrible. And therefore, uh, a good fit for Rachel. <laughs> like, I didn't necessarily want Rachel to be dead, but I don't know. I guess she was trapped in a dead-end job. That's some sort of punishment, I guess. I wanted her life to be a little worse, I gotta admit. <laughs> yes. Same. Same here. You're kind of like, what? She's got a, she's got a steady job? <laughs> Man. Oh, Rachel, you're so terrible. If you have any thoughts about this episode or any other episode that you would like to share, you can email us at feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. We are also on Twitter at TIE Podcast. And I also thought I'd mention we recently added the podcast to Spotify. So if you would like to listen to podcasts over there, but haven't been able to listen to ours over there, we're now on Spotify. We've been doing this long enough that... Back in the day when we were podcasting regularly, you had to, like, be invited to be on Spotify. And now just any old person can be like, hey, Spotify, let me join. So that's what we did. Hey, we're any old person. <laughs> we're, in fact, two old people. <laughs> I was kidding, Chris. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling it today, so... <laughs> Tatiana is Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. 
To find our other podcasts about Lost Girl and Killjoys, visit our website, askgenretv.com. And in this episode, the proboscis monkey was played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. I'm blanking on a segue. Do you got a good segue to talking about Kara? You're sometimes surprisingly good at those. <laughs> I don't know whether to be insulted by that. No, you shouldn't be <laughs> insulted. You're, you're surprisingly good at it. <laughs> Why so surprised, Stephanie? Surprised because it, it's often after you haven't been talking very much, and then suddenly you'll just be like, zing! <laughs> Segway!